Now let's turn in our Bibles again to the book of Hebrews, um, which we usually call the letter to the Hebrews, um, but it probably isn't a letter. Um, it's more like a little booklet. And we're going to look in uh, chapter 13, which you'll find if you're using a church Bible on page uh, 1211, 1200. And eleven. And uh, I want to uh, read just one verse, uh, verse eight. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today. And forever, probably the best known words in this little book. Uh, old timers will remember going into homes where there might be plaques in the kitchen that said, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And my guess is if you were able to do a statistical account of text chosen for sermons for the first Sunday morning of a new year, Hebrews 13.8 might turn out to be the winner. The turn of a year, time of transition, looking back, looking forward, taking stock, wondering about the future. Here is this great message for Christian believers that there is one reality that remains the same, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And chapter 13, is, it's, almost like, it's almost like a little note that was included with the, the first 12 chapters. Uh, this doesn't uh, come to us as a letter. Uh, like the other letters, doesn't tell us who's receiving it, doesn't tell us who is writing it. We have no idea who wrote it. And then right at the end, uh, as I remember my mother's letters to me when I was a student, uh, it was almost as though either she'd run out of Basildon Bond or the mail was about to go and there would be this rapid fire a series of little pieces of information. And fascinatingly, in chapter 13, there are about, there are about 20 different exhortations. Uh, maybe he was running out of paper, and there's this kind of uh, quick-fire series of exhortations. And although this text would be appropriate for us at the beginning of any new year, I think there's a sense in which, if you look at it in its context, it's particularly appropriate for us at St. Peter's at the beginning of this new year, because you'll see there's kind of bookends to what he says. What prompts in his mind to say to these Christians, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, is, if you look at the previous verse, they have actually lost the leaders they'd probably known all their Christian lives. Look at what he says. 
Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life, and imitate their faith. And it seems pretty clear these leaders are no longer present with these Christians. And as we enter a year in which, as John's already been praying, we anticipate a transition in leadership, or if not a transition in leadership, the removal of our minister. There is something poignant about the fact that it's precisely in that context that he's urging us to consider Jesus Christ. And you'll notice very interestingly, this may also be a word for us uh, during the year. In verse 17, he now refers to the leaders they now have, and he uses pretty strong language. He says, now, obey your leaders and submit to them because they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Then this marvelous word, it's certainly marvelous if you're a minister, an elder, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. You see what he's saying? Don't, don't cause your leaders to start groaning and moaning about you. You don't want to go to ministers' conferences sometimes to hear the groaning and moaning and how the grass is always greener on the other side of the road or in another church. And uh, you see, it, it's because of these things. Um, you ever groaned about a minister? Have you always been a cause of joy to all the elders you've ever had, all the ministers you've ever had? Uh, you, you, you can see how um, he's near the end, but he, he touches some raw nerves here. But right in the middle of this is the key. The older I get, the more I think I recognize how easy it is for us to keep our eyes on our leaders, to praise our leaders, or to criticize our leaders. And the tragedy is, the thing we don't notice is that we're no longer looking at Jesus Christ. And it happens very subtly. We think we are motoring along in the Christian life, and you see, this man, whoever he was, was pastor enough to realize that actually the greatest danger in the Christian life is not the external temptations, but the result of them. It's not the work of the devil, but the result of it. What does he want to do? He, he wants to fix your gaze on something other, something lower, something lesser, or someone lesser than Jesus Christ. And it's marvelous that he he praises the leaders of the past. He says, now follow their example. He, he wants to encourage them to, to make their present leaders experience joy in their service. He's not minimizing that role. And I suppose over these coming months, we'll all have more to say about that. But he does say to them, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. He'd said that in chapter 3 at the beginning. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our faith. 
He'd said it again, you remember, famously in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Run the race, but keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And here he sums it all up by telling us why this is so important. Because Jesus Christ, unlike our leaders who come and go, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, the New Testament divides history into two periods. And the author of this book also divided history into two periods. Essentially, what we know as B.C., before Christ, and A.D., in the year of our Lord. Um, the Bible, actually Hebrews, puts it very neatly in the opening words. It says, God has worked in past times, and then in Jesus Christ, God has worked in the last times. But fascinatingly, while he divides history into the past times until Christ came and the last times which have emerged with Christ coming, remember how Peter says on the day of Pentecost, all this is happening because the last times have dawned. Uh, the author of Hebrews divides Jesus' life into three phases. He'd done that earlier on in a rather marvelous way. He'd said earlier on, Christ appeared in order to die for our sins. But Christ is now appearing in order to pray for us and care for us in heaven. But then there's going to a time when Christ will appear again. And when He appears again, He will wind up history he will put all things under his feet. He'll, he'll bring his work back to his father and say, it's all yours, and I've done it for you. And you'll notice he does the same thing here. Jesus' ministry, he divides into three periods. Yesterday, by which he means in the days of his flesh, which uh, those of you who know Hebrews will know it's an expression he uses about Jesus' earthly ministry. <coughs> Yesterday, today, here and now, and tomorrow and all our tomorrows, forever. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's how we know him. I had a letter from a friend a number of weeks ago who had just been reading the recent biography of Winston Churchill. And he wrote to me because apparently at some low point in Churchill's life, he wrote, I think I'll buy a little place in Carnoustie and just play golf. <laughs> Not a bad idea. And my friend, I, I think my friend probably reads every new biography of Winston Churchill. And I read somewhere there are about 14,000 pieces written on Winston Churchill. But you know what? I guess if you had read them all, you still would not be able to say either, I think I know Winston Churchill, 
And I'm pretty sure, although I'm not a Churchill aficionado, this, I've got the book now, Christmas Present, and this will only be the second Churchill biography I've ever read, but I doubt that I will find Churchill the same one day as he was the next day. But if you're a Christian, that's what you're able to say about the Lord Jesus. He is the same today as he was yesterday. And he will be like that forever. You know, in some ways, the key question in your Christian life that will influence the whole of your Christian life is this question. The answer to this question, what is Jesus really like? What is Jesus really like? And this author is saying he is exactly the same today as he was yesterday. And earlier in, earlier in his book, he's, he's given us little clues as to what that might mean, how Jesus took our human nature, how Jesus prayed with, with crying and tears to the God who was able to save him, and how he still is able to sympathize with us, because he didn't come into this world to to save angels, and so he didn't come into this world as an angel. He came into this world to save people like us, flesh and blood with sorrows and fears, burdens, concerns, failures. And so he took our very nature so that he could, he could feel it from the inside. I mean, we might, we might put it this way, that we know God understands everything, but the marvel of Jesus coming is that he, he came into everything He had created. He became part of what He had created. He experienced, he experienced everything we experience in the testings of life from the inside. And this is what Hebrews had said earlier on. He's tested in all points just the same way we are. And this is what Hebrews means when it says that Jesus is the same today as he was yesterday. Of course, he has been resurrected. And there is some transformation took place in his physical bodily existence, but Jesus the person is, is still the same. And that is a key to your living the Christian life. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And uh, those, are, those are wonderful words for us as, as we think about the wonder of all that Jesus Christ has done for us and all that he is to know that he's exactly the same, and then to know that he'll always be exactly the same. And I want to suggest to you that's not only the message of Hebrews, but is actually ultimately the message of the Gospels. The Gospels were not written like these biographies of Winston Churchill so that you could find out about somebody who lived in the past. The biographies were written, these gospels about Jesus, they were written entirely on the foundation of this principle, that he is the same today 
as he was then. You know, if you, if you read through the Gospels, um, you will discover that Jesus meets about a hundred people or a hundred groups of people. If you include the groups that he meets who, who encounter him and he encounters and individuals, many of them whom he meets and he encounters, it's amazing that in relatively, these relatively short accounts of Jesus, there are, there are about a hundred different situations in which as you read the Gospels, you can be like one of those little, um, those little uh, diamond merchants in Golders Green, you know, putting the little loop into their eye and, and looking at the diamond and turning it round so that, you know, it just looks like a piece of stone to you, but apparently when you look through one of these things and you know what you're doing, you'd see every, every little facet. And the Gospels, quite apart from all the other things they teach us, uh, they, they give us a hundred different facets of who Jesus was yesterday. And the only reason they were written was because the gospel these men proclaimed was, we want to tell you about this Jesus because he is the same today as he was yesterday. And friends, that's the way we need to, that's the way we need to read the gospels. I wonder how you read the gospels. Uh, I sometimes uh, speak about what I call the find Wally method of reading the Gospels. Or if you're an American, find Waldo. You know the wee fellow in the picture? And I think what I've found over the years is that many Christians read the Gospel stories, these encounters, and the big question in their mind, and sometimes preachers create this in them because this is the way preachers often preach, are you like Zacchaeus? Are you like Nicodemus? Are you, are you like this uh, blind man or this leper? And that's okay. Don't get me wrong, that's okay. It's actually not the right way to read the Gospels. The Gospels aren't about Zacchaeus. It's not Zacchaeus that's the good news. You see what you're doing? Um, you're looking for yourself in the picture. And you're saying, and you know, I've heard preachers say, where are you in this story? And you know, the kind of dark side of my personality is thinking, I'm not anywhere in that story. Because if all I see in that story is somebody who's like me, I've actually missed the real point of it. The real point is not, first of all, what is Zacchaeus like? That's not unimportant. And it may not be unimportant that, that there are things about you that are like Zacchaeus. But the really important thing is, what is Jesus like? And that's the way we need to read the Gospels. What's this telling me about Jesus? And actually, sometimes, you know, for preachers, that can be much more difficult because it's much... Honestly, it's much easier to describe sinners and to talk to them about their sin than it is to glorify Jesus and to talk about His grace. 
But if you just, if you just stop and think, choose your favorite gospel, you've got a favorite gospel. And think about the people that Jesus meets and what you learn about Jesus there. In some ways, John's the easiest one, isn't it? Because he doesn't meet quite so many people. Uh, but here he meets Simon Peter. He says, you're, 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 I'm, I'm going to transform you. You're, you're going to become a rock. And the, when you read through the rest of the gospel, you you realize that this man, was not, this man was not made of solid stone. This man wasn't really a boulder. This man's flimsy. But Jesus persists with him. Or Nicodemus, who, who is as blind as a bat spiritually, although he's the great theologian in Israel. Um, some great theologians are spiritually blind as bats. They understand the words, but they, they can't put the words together with their lives, with Jesus. And, and Jesus carefully explains to Nicodemus his problem is that he's spiritually blind. And here, here's an interesting thing. If you were anybody else, you would have kowtowed to Nicodemus. If a Nicodemus type came into most churches, people would be whispering, see who's in church today. But not Jesus. Or take the woman at the well, a wholly different kettle of fish, out there in the middle of the day because she's lived a life that ostracizes her apparently from everyone else and and she she dodges every bullet that Jesus fires at her and then she gets into this religious discussion you've met people like this on the plane or on the bus as soon as you mention Jesus, then suddenly they pile in with all their objections or what they know about religion or this and that. And Jesus keeps pressing until he comes to this point. I'm going to touch your sinful heart. That's what's underneath it all. And that's what he's like. He won't rest content until he's got to the heart of the matter, in your heart, your sinfulness, your need. Or, or take that very strange incident of the man who's there at the pool, and he says, uh, when Jesus says to him, do you really want to get better? He says, there's no, nobody, to, there's nobody to help me into the water here. And you see, that wasn't Jesus' question, was it? His question was not, is there somebody to help you into the water? His question was, do you really want to get well? That's a really penetrating question, isn't it? You have met people whose lives are spiritually messed up, but if you ask them, do you really want to get better? You might think to yourself in a casual moment, anyone in that situation would be desperate to get better. But you see, the problem with being spiritually sick is you're really spiritually sick, and you don't really want to get better. And Jesus persists and makes them better. That's what he's like. That's what, he is still like that with you and me. Uh, New Year resolutions, spiritual resolutions, Christian resolutions, oh God, help me to be better. 
Do you really want to be better? He's determined to change you. Or the man born blind who gets into a terrible fankle with the religious leaders and they excommunicate him. And there's this, this poignant moment where we're told that, that Jesus started looking for him. Um, that's what he's like. Uh, I mean, it's, it's almost like someone who was so messed up they could no longer come to St. Peter's because they felt they didn't fit or they weren't worthy or whatever is in their minds. And uh, Jesus went to look for them because that's what he's like. And here are his disciples and, and their, their, their minds are exploding because they realize the darkness is about to fall and they've no idea what it's like for Jesus. But it's Jesus who comforts them. Jesus who prays for them. That's what he's like. And this text is saying he's still like that. That's actually why the next verse is a warning against false teaching. It's really saying you don't want to hear about any other Jesus than the real Jesus, and the real Jesus is the same today as he was yesterday. So that everything, every one of those facets and those a hundred different encounters that you find in the gospel, I read through the gospel. And, and as, I, as I read about this Savior who is risen and alive and at the right hand of the Heavenly Father, I'm able to say, Jesus, you're still like that. And you'll still be like that to me. And you'll still be like that for me because you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And actually, it's a summary of the whole message of this book, which is this. In great words in chapter 7, isn't it? Jesus is able to save us to the uttermost when we come to God through Him, because He's always there as our mediator. He's able to save you to the uttermost because of who He is, because He's the same today as He was yesterday. And the message, therefore, is this. Don't let your eyes drift to anything else, because all you ultimately need is found in the Savior, Jesus Christ. I love a hymn that has often been attributed to uh, David Robertson's favorite theologian, not Chrysostom, but John Calvin. Um, nobody's sure whether he wrote it or not, but it goes right back to 1545 and to the Strasbourg Psalter. And it's called, I greet thee who my sure redeemer art, my only trust and savior of my heart, who pain didst undergo for my poor sake, I pray thee from our hearts all cares to take. If it wasn't written by Calvin, it was written by somebody who listened a lot to Calvin. And you could listen a lot to Calvin. He preached every day of the week for about 40 minutes and two or three times on Sunday. So if you listen to all that, then you began to take it in. 
But it has this marvelous verse that kind of makes me think this is either Calvin himself or somebody who knew Calvin well. Um, Calvin was a pretty tightly wired little man, uh, and he was a very sick man most of his life. When he died, they said there were about, about 40 different things wrong with him. Incidentally, the remedy if you had stones was to go out riding in the hope that that would pass them down the traffic. Um, and he, you know, when you're tense like that, sometimes pretty short fuse, and, and Calvin was sometimes like that. He suffered from migraines as a result of that tension. Um, but listen to this verse. Thou hast the true and perfect gentleness. No harshness hast thou, and no bitterness. O oh, grant to us the grace we find in thee that we may dwell in perfect unity. You see what he's saying? Actually, it's Hebrew's great message, and as it turns out, it's also, for those of you who are Calvin scholars, Calvin's great message. God has provided everything for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we must therefore, to use his words, go to no other fountain. Friends, the whole Bible exists for this. Not that we should come here Sunday by Sunday and become Bible scholars, but so that we should come here Sunday by Sunday and open the Bible's pages week by week and day by day and discover what Jesus is really like. And the only way the Bible gives us to discover that is by telling us He is the same today for you as He was yesterday. And then He adds on, and He'll be like that forever. You know, our friends who have sat with us and now behold the face of Jesus Christ in glory, I, you know, I'm sure one of the thoughts that passed through their minds when they entered into His presence and saw Him as He's portrayed, for example, in the book of Revelation would be, I never knew you were as wonderful as this. But now that I see you, I see you're no different than you were yesterday or in my today and you'll be like this absolutely forever. And that's why we're encouraged here to look to Him and to trust in Him and to find that, that when we're hungry spiritually, He's the bread of life. When we're thirsty spiritually, He is the fountain of living water. When we're tired and weary, we can go to Him for rest. When we're confused, He'll be to us the light of the world. When we're conscious of our sinfulness, we'll know that He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And He'll never, ever, ever change. Those of you my generation remember in Bible class or Sunday school singing, Yesterday, today, forever. Jesus is the same. All may change, but Jesus 
never. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. All may change, but Jesus never. Glory to his name. Well, glory to his name. And may there be glory to his name uh, in our church this year. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word and for its grace. Thank you that you come to us as a father speaking to his children through it. Thank you that Christ, who is its great object, works in our hearts by his Holy Spirit and gives to us this sense that he is still speaking to us through this same word. Lord, whatever this year holds for us uh, as a church, a family, how privileged we are to be in a living family in which we look to the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you'll help us to fix our eyes on him, to keep our gaze towards him who is the author and finisher of our faith, and to know every single day, every hour by faith that he is the same today as he was yesterday and he'll always be that to us. Lord Jesus, thank you for all you are to us. Holy Spirit, thank you for your ministry of glorifying him and pointing us to him through his word. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.